If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 141 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the 29th day of May of the year 2022. And that hello there start is especially appropriate this week with the show of my favorite character on the face of the earth finally coming out after having waited for it for the better part of the last 17 years, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And of course, those of you diehards of mine out there know that the main reason I say hello there at the beginning of every single episode is in reference to Obi-Wan Kenobi. So especially appropriate for this week. But In any event, I do hope you're having a good holiday weekend, guys. I cannot freaking believe it's Memorial Day weekend. (laughs) The unofficial start to my favorite season, which of course is summer, because it is the only season that matters, because it's warm and the cold sucks, objectively. But I can't believe it's already Memorial Day weekend. That is insane. Just the more time that passes, the less I can keep track of it. (laughs) Okay, so anyway... Weird things going on this weekend for this episode, guys. First of all, I'm recording on Saturday again. (laughs) I'm not sure if you heard what I said at the very end of last week's episode, just really quick when I was on my way out, but because it's a crazy busy weekend for me here on this Memorial Day holiday weekend, this is the only time I could really find to fit in a recording of any kind. (laughs) And it's Saturday night, not long after... The Yankees 3-1 loss to the Rays today, which was annoying as hell, by the way. Because other than two hits, a sack fly, and a runoff Kluber in the first, the offense didn't do a single freaking bit of damage in any way for the rest of the game after that. And the Tampa Bay Rays, for their three runs, they didn't get their scoring started until the sixth inning, solely thanks to home plate umpire Edwin Moscoso, Another completely incompetent umpire. Definitely don't have enough of those. Because he missed a clear strike three call for Garrett Cole that should have ended the inning. But Cole would go on to allow more damage by walking Franco and allowing a bloop RBI single to a Rosarena to tie the game. Litke, who I don't trust this year at all, by the way. Just, he's not nearly as sharp as last year. Just, you can't debate it. He's not nearly as sharp And Michael King, who's had himself a rough week, by the way. Been phenomenal before that, but the last week, he's had a rough go at it. But they each allowed a run, and then the Yankees were going to lose 3-1. And now that I think about it, I guess I don't really have to recap this game later on and recap now, since that's basically all there was to it, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) But an extremely annoying game today that I'm still a bit ticked about, since it's still a little fresh, but... Whatever, just take the series tomorrow and it'll be even easier to forget today's annoyance. 
lack of offense, missed strike calls, infield choppers, and blue pits driving in crucial runs. It's just irritating when crap like that happens. Overall, though, guys, this week has been turbulent, confusing, all over the place. (laughs) If you want to just find different ways to describe this past week of Yankees baseball, it's just been weird. There's been good and bad wins and losses, and through it all, the Yanks have had to endure quite a bit, mainly in an area that's been a familiar nightmare for them for the better part of the last four years or so, as we know, but was quiet this year until this past week. And that nightmare is injuries. Yeah, they're back. (laughs) And the injury bug bit hard. And frequently, too. One after the other. Some worse than others. But this past week, it didn't seem like it had an end in sight. It really didn't. And it added on to what we already started with last week, on last week's episode, when we discussed Chad Green and Luis Heal getting Tommy John surgery. It didn't end there. Just a bunch of pieces of injury and roster news from this past week. If you want to go all the way back to last Sunday, David McKay was optioned back down after Game 2 of last Sunday's doubleheader. Monday... Donaldson hit the COVID IL, then hit the 10-day IL a couple of days ago with shoulder inflammation. Where that came from, who the hell knows? And Duhar came up after that, and he's he's been doing a really nice job. He's gotten some good hits, and he's even been playing a decent left field, so it's cool to have him back. At the very least, we've always known that Duhar could definitely put the bat on the ball. He's a solid hitter. It's just his, his defense mainly has been a major problem over the years, but he's even been okay out there in left field. He's been moving well tracking and reading fly balls really well. He's been doing fine. But even after that, Aroldis Chapman to the IL on Tuesday because of his Achilles tendonitis. (sighs) I swear, between the injuries with them and the performance with them the last couple years, between him and Britain, I swear, I, I never want to see the Yankees spend big on relievers again as long as I live. I swear. I'm I'm just over it. Uh, DJ. How about DJ LeMahieu? He was scratched a few days ago because of left wrist discomfort. But, but, he did get a cortisone shot, and he's already back. So that's that. He led off in today's game, and he even hit a double in the first one he did. So, definitely always nice to see DJ back. Obviously, we know his importance to the team. Wednesday, along with Estevan Florial, who was up ever since we even spoke about the doubleheader last Sunday, he was up for that game. Other than him being optioned back down at AAA, he really didn't do much in his few days up here. And J.P. Sears going back down as well after making his very nice start in the middle of this past week. Other than that, on Wednesday, Luizaga up next, because why not? Jonathan Luizaga to the IL with shoulder discomfort. More shoulder issues for him. We've seen this a couple of times now. Last few years, it's definitely not good. And it could potentially be a reason for his struggles so far this year. I mean, they really know that better than we do unless they come out to the public and confirm as much, but it could be an issue. Stanton to the IL with a calf strain. He's had those before, and uh, obviously when we all saw this, definitely including myself, we were all like, oh, God. Because Stanton actually, you know, he played the vast majority of last year healthy, and he was killing it this year so far, but now it's 
It's back to the IL for him. Hopefully it's not a long stint. Right now I won't say much because we don't know how long of a stint it'll be specifically. It could be just a week and a half and he'll come right back and be fine. Who knows? But hopefully it's not a long one because I do not want to go a long time without my boy. I I cannot see him with a long-term IL stint after all the progress he's made since the 2020 playoffs and how he's managed to stay healthy since then. So... If it is a short stint, then it's obviously not the end of the world, and the Yankees will be able to hang in there. I believe in them. Aaron Hicks, hamstring tightness for him, and we all knew he wouldn't make it through the whole season without at least a slight injury issue to go along with his remarkable on-field struggles, obviously. But he did return today as well, along with DJ. He pinch hit in the eighth. For Trevino, for some reason, who's had an incredible week, Instead of maybe pinch hitting, if at all, which I probably wouldn't have him pinch hit at all to begin with, but if you had to do it, why not do it for his pal who was up next? Fellow outfielder, who also happens to be doing less than nothing for this team so far this year, in Joey Gallo. But that's besides the point. And to no one's surprise whatsoever, he flailed on a pitch and struck out swinging in embarrassing fashion. As I sit here continuing to beg somebody, anybody at all, to explain what his purpose on this team is, besides occasionally taking some walks. Because we spoke about it last week, we've spoken about it all week on social media if you follow me on there, and I was voicing my concerns about him during the offseason until I was blue in the face. This man provides nothing positive. And there is not even the most remote sign of that changing. But yeah, I mean, how much more can you say about Aaron Hicks before your head just blows off? But yeah, listen, the injuries have returned a bit and it's not fun. But nonetheless, even though it wasn't the best of weeks for the Yankees in the grand scheme of how their season's gone, they did continue to show amidst all of it their resiliency. Even if it is with their B team out there, doesn't matter. I mean, for starters, how about getting right back up on the horse against the Orioles and taking another series after their eventful one, let's call it that, (laughs) with the White Sox last weekend. And now so far, despite today's irritating game against Tampa, having taken two out of three against them in Tampa (laughs) with a chance to win three out of four with a win tomorrow. So their resilience has really powered them through. But between the injuries, the fact that last Sunday ended with a doubleheader sweep for the White Sox, ending the Yanks series win streak at 9, which is incredible, but still not a day we'd like to remember last Sunday. (laughs) Still took the season series against them, at least. We won't see them again this season. But they did waste, in the meantime, beautiful starts, too, by Tyone in Game 1 and Seve in Game 2 in those games last Sunday. Also the first time, by the way, they even lost two in a row since April 10th and 11th. (laughs) And those were the final game of the first series of the season against Boston, and then on the 11th the next day to start the second series of the season at home against Toronto. (laughs) That's wild. We'd even forgotten what it felt like to lose two in a row for over a month. (laughs) 
And they'd also lose the first game of the series against the Orioles, almost lost the second if not for the man, the myth, the legend, the framing god, our king, Jose Trevino, who we'll talk more about in a bit during recap, but (laughs) they also lost today, of course. The bullpen's been struggling, which... The bullpen struggling is definitely a main source behind a lot of this past week's negatives, but like I said before, there are positives too. This past week had a mix of both. Again, they did still take the series against the O's after that White Sox series. They won two of the last three against the Rays in Tampa. The pitching rotation is still god-tier, by the way, with the highest ERA of the bunch being 330 belonging to Montgomery after today's Garrett Cole start. He lowered his ERA to 312. It was at 331 coming into the start today, I believe. But 330, the highest ERA in the rotation. 330! That's incredible. Oh my god. And the offense has their on and off days. Today was definitely an off day. Last Sunday's doubleheader saw two off games. (laughs) But they also have their strong days, like all do. Point being, you're never going to have 100% positivity through 162 games, no matter what. But despite all of that, like I said, they're still winning games any way they can. I said it on last week's episode, and I'll say it again. Even after today's loss, whatever, who cares? But I'll say it again, this team is different. As opposed to past teams the last few years, they find different ways to win. A ton of the teams the last few years found different ways to lose. Now this year, they find different ways to win. And especially if they could find a way to take three out of four in that toilet bowl of a stadium this weekend... That'd be real cool. (laughs) Let's see the offense wake back up, and let's see Seve kick some ass too. Especially the latter, because through the first three games in Tampa, hell, even today's game, if not for a botched strike three call, a blooper, and a high infield chopper, the pitching has really kept every team down, including the Rays, like I said. So let's see that continue, and see some runs come across too, because especially after today, You'd like to see the offense wake back up again tomorrow, even if they are facing a tough opponent in Shane McClanahan. We'll see. But anyway, for today's episode, my friends, like I said before, this is a stupid busy weekend for me. And honestly, I could have very well taken off again, but I wanted to give you an episode, even if it's not a usual one. So regardless, you're welcome. But in case you didn't notice, if you follow my socials, which, by the way, Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY, Twitter, at Mike Scudero, and Instagram, MikeScuds97, shameless plug. But you probably noticed, if you do follow them, that I didn't post a social media segment today. Well, that's because today's episode is a shorter one. No social media segment. So, we're going to recap this past week. And then after that, I'm going to end off on a... Statement of praise, I guess that's what I'll call it, that I tweeted out this morning on Twitter. Got a crap ton of attention because of the fact that it's, well, true. But it has to be said for all those who aren't giving this person the proper respect. And I'm going to be giving this man that respect yet again 
here on this show, other than just on Twitter. So you're going to want to hang tight for that at the end of the show before we wrap things up for today. But otherwise, guys, let's get right to recapping what was definitely a wild, turbulent, odd week of Yankees baseball. Not really knowing what to feel, when to feel it. It's just because such chaos going on, good and bad, injuries, positives. Oh my God. All over the place. Time machine to last Sunday. Let's go. All right, my good people. Well, as we know, last Sunday, the last time we spoke, I was actually reacting to the first game of the doubleheader while I was taping. So we already really spoke about that one in which the Yankees lost that game 3-1 to one because there was little to no offense, just none outside of Aaron Judge, actually. And then obviously, Roldis Chapman would again choke at the end of the game in the ninth inning to give the White Sox that 3-1 to one lead in which they would win by. Game two would come around shortly thereafter. It would be Michael Kopech against Luis Severino, who, again, like Tyone in game one, like we talked about, and like I said in the intro before, too, had a beautiful start. Seven shutout innings. He did allow eight hits, struck out five, lowered his ERA to 302. He did allow those eight hits, but that's because he put himself into quite a bit of jams throughout the game. He even had a, a bases-loaded nobody-out jam at one point, and he got out of Every single one. He really, really battled. It was an unbelievable start by Seve. Really, it was so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was like, it was one of the best starts he's had in probably a, a half a decade. <laughs> Just really, really good to see him continue to progress. Obviously, we knew we wouldn't see him being perfect until he had some time to redevelop everything and build back up. You know, he, he needed time. He pitched last year, but only as a reliever, and obviously this year, starting for the first time at all since 2019, but these are the most starts he's had in a season since 2018. So we knew that it was going to take time for him to build up and see any semblance of the old Luis Severino, and some days we really see that old Sevy come back out, and this was one of them. Seven shutout innings, really battled, a great job. But then this was really the start of... When the bullpen, and it was happening for a couple of days at this point already, but then this past week when I mentioned bullpen struggles, this was really con- the continuation of it. And it started when Loisaga came in to pitch the eighth inning. And he would have four runs charged with Miguel Castro allowing one as well, all in that eighth inning. And it would all be on an Andrew Vaughn RBI single, an RBI single by Reese McGuire, and then a three-run shot by none other after everything that happened last weekend, than Tim Anderson. If I told you any different, other than the fact that I saw this coming from 20 miles away, I'd be lying to you, because I saw it coming from 20 miles away. (laughs) Miguel Castro came in and just hung a pitch, and it went into the right field short porch. My goodness. So that gave the White Sox a 5-0 lead, and because, again, just a dead Yankee offense, 18 innings in just that one run that Aaron Judge scored in Game 1 in that solo shot, 18 innings, one run in this doubleheader, losing 5 to nothing in the second and being swept in the doubleheader, like I said earlier, not a good day last Sunday. Not a good day at all. Very, very forgettable, and uh, was not fun to watch at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you hoped that when Monday came around, you'd see some comeback from the Yankee offense because Sunday was a dread. They just went totally quiet. And the offense did battle on Monday, but of course, as I said earlier as well, the first game to the Orioles at Yankee Stadium on Monday would unfortunately be a loss. Garrett Cole started the game, and they gave him two runs right off the bat in the first inning and the second inning on a solo shot by Judge, his 16th of the year, and then an RBI single by Jose Trevino in the bottom of the second. That would make it 2 to nothing, Yankees, and that would just be the start to what would be an amazing series for Jose Trevino, by the way. We'll get to more as we go on. But then Garrett Cole came out in the top of the third, and this was really his only bad inning of the entire start. Other than this, the final line in his start is not... It's weird because of the five runs he allowed, but the fact that he struck out 11 people. <laughs> so it's weird. Five runs. He he even pitched. He went really deep in the game. He pitched eight innings. So eight innings, 11 strikeouts, five runs. It's really weird. And, those, and four of those five runs were in the third inning alone. So most of his start was good except for one inning. It's just really weird. The final line is really odd because it could deceive you into thinking it's a bad start, but then most of his innings throughout his eight innings were actually really good. They were totally fine. But it's just when those runs were allowed, they were in crucial moments that would decide the game, ultimately. So with that 2 to nothing lead, he came out in the top of the third, gave up an RBI double to Robinson Chirinos, of all people, a two-run single to Austin Hayes, and... Ryan Mountcastle drove in a run on a ground out. So then the Orioles jumped out to a 4-2 lead. But then, thanks to Aaron Judge, again, at this point responsible for three of the four runs, with his 17th home run of the year, he would hit a game-tying two-run shot in the bottom of the fifth to make it 4-4. But then again, just like when the Yankees gave him the 2-0 lead in the second inning after Jose Trevino's RBI single, he came right back out in the top half of the next inning, and gave the lead right back. <laughs> so, it was just annoying. Other than that, when whenever the Yankee offense wasn't coming back for him, he was doing a fine job. But then it seemed like whenever they gave him runs, or put themselves back into the game and retied the game, that was when he would immediately give it back, like right here, allowing a solo shot to Ramon Urias. And that made it 5-4 to four in the top of the sixth. But then he went scoreless for the rest of the way. Gave the vast majority of the bullpen, of course, a long night off because he pitched eight innings still, despite allowing those five runs, so it's whatever. And then at the top of the ninth, the Orioles got some insurance on a sack fly by Robinson Chirinos, two runs driven in by him on the day, and that was just irritating because Chirinos is not supposed to be a good hitter, but he had himself a nice night. And the Orioles would go on to win 6-4. to four. So this is the first time all year. Remember before I said... In the doubleheader sweep by the White Sox, that was the first time the Yankees lost two in a row since April's 10th and 11th. Well, this was the first time all year that they lost three in a row. Doubleheader sweep against the White Sox on Sunday, and then the first game of the series against the Orioles. So the Yankees, with this, and then you factor in all the injuries that were starting to pile up at this point in the week, the Yankees were hitting a little bit of a skid. They were. Bullpen having its troubles, injuries piling up a little bit again for the first time this year. Obviously, everything that happened over the weekend with Donaldson, with all that drama, and then it's never fun losing to the Orioles, of course. So things were 
starting to hit a little bit of a skid for the first time really this year. So it's tough to get mad at, but it was not fun to watch nonetheless. But you know what was fun to watch, even though this game had us pulling our hair out at times too, was the next night on Tuesday against the Orioles, Game 2. And here's the game that I mentioned earlier where I was referencing Jose Trevino as King Trevino because, my God, what a game this was. But Jordan Montgomery would start the game, and other than two runs being given up in the fifth inning and then one run being charged to him in the seventh inning that he started, he would go six-plus, only allowing two runs, striking out five, driving his ERA down to 330, which again currently is the highest ERA in the Yankees rotation after Garrett Cole's start today here on Saturday, but yesterday when you're listening to this on Sunday, or maybe even if you're listening later in the week, just on Saturday. So 330, again, being the highest ERA coming into the last game in Tampa Bay. I cannot give enough praise to this Yankees rotation, but the Yankees would also get on the board early, bottom of the first. Anthony Rizzo solo shot 11th of the year. Bottom of the third, this was the start of the amazing night for Jose Trevino. And I know there's a lot of people that say Trevino, then there's Trevino. I'll say Trevino. But solo shot to left center field. It was a quite a bomb. <laughs> that made it two to nothing Yankees in the bottom of the third. And then Glaber Torres in the inning after the bottom of the fourth of the solo shot of his own, his sixth of the year. So with three solo shots by the bottom of the fourth. The Yankees actually padded Jordan Montgomery with a 3-0 lead. There's run support for Montgomery. Holy crap. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what you think automatically. So, but then in the top of the fifth, he would show some signs of struggling, Montgomery would. He allowed a run on an RBI ground up by Rubnetto Dorr, who would have himself a pretty amazing night, a four-RBI night. <laughs> but that would be his first one to make it 3-1, to one, but Montgomery limited the damage to there. And then a solo shot was allowed to Austin Hayes to lead off the top of the seventh, and that would be the end of Montgomery's start. So he did make it into the seventh. Nice start for him yet again. But it was 3-2 to two now. So it was starting to get a little nerve-wracking just within a run now. And then Michael King came in. And remember, remember when I told you that strangely, despite how phenomenal he's been before the last week or week and a half, now he's been struggling? Well... This was definitely another example of that because in that seventh inning, after Montgomery left the game, he would allow a single to Adley Rutschman, he would walk Ramon Arias, and this would be the continuation of what I referenced before as a great night for Rugnet Odor, a four-RBI night. Well, he would get RBIs two, three, and four off of Michael King unbelievably, I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. At this point in time, I was just like borderline raging. I was like, how the hell is this happening? He gave up a three-run homer to Rugnet Odor. So just took the decision out of Montgomery's start, potentially blew the game because it was 5-3 Orioles now after the Yankees really seemed to have it under control, and it just was not looking great. But then fortunately after that, Litke would come in to get an out, Clay Holmes, well, Licky, yeah, would finish off the seventh inning. Clay Holmes would come in after him, striking out two, looking as godly as ever. Because <laughs> when doesn't he? And Wandy Peralta would pitch the ninth inning as well and hold the game at that. But while the bullpen was doing that, and the Yankees were down 5-3, the Yankees clawed their way back. 
on another solo shot in the bottom of the seventh by Glaber Torres, his seventh home run of the year. As he seems to be heating up again offensively, that made it 5-4. to four. And then, after Isaiah kind of Falefa found his way on base, and Marvin Gonzalez was hit by a pitch, Jose Trevino, again, he reties the game with another RBI single to tie the game at 5. The stadium went wild. So a hell of a night for Trevino so far at this point. And if you thought it was over at this point, well, you are wrong. <laughs> The bullpen, as I said, would hold it at 5-5 in the 8th and ninth. They would go to the 10th inning. The Orioles would not score, and neither would the Yankees, despite having runners on the corners with one out. They couldn't push a run across, driving all of us insane. (laughs) But then in the top of the 11th, with Clark Schmidt in, in his second inning of work after pitching a beautiful 10th inning, he was really doing a nice job, he did allow that fake runner, the Mickey Mouse runner, to score in the top of the 11th, which doesn't make me mad because I was saying, listen, it's fake baseball anyway, first of all. And second of all, it really is more on the offense than anything as of extra innings because the fact that they couldn't drive home that run in the bottom of the 10th, I'm like, if they lose this game, then it is on them, especially if they come back again in the bottom of the 11th and don't score again with the fake runner, then it's definitely on the offense as far as I'm concerned. So that's what I was saying, even though it was 6-5 Orioles going to the bottom of the 11th. But then in the bottom of the 11th, Isaiah Conner-Falefa would tie the game on an RBI single. He's been doing better offensively again. Marvin Gonzalez would keep it going with a single of his own. And then to end the game, Jose Trevino comes up to the plate again and hits a ground ball down the left field line, drives home Isaiah Conner-Falefa, and gives the Yankees an epic 7-6 victory. And not only was it special just given the context and within the game and all that, but we all learned even after the game by Jose Trevino himself, the hero of the game, who you guys know if you've been listening for weeks now since the trade happened, I have been a huge advocate for Jose, so I have been very happy with him being here. I think he's been terrific defensively. He'll even give his moments offensively like he has. I think he's terrific. As far as I'm concerned, he's my catcher, especially with how much Higashioka has just plain out stunk. But we learned after the game, both in post-game interviews and by posts on social media, that it was actually his late father's birthday on Tuesday night. And he was talking about how all of his thoughts were with his father that night, who apparently used to pitch him tennis balls in their Texas backyard because Jose grew up in Texas. He was a ranger before this. We all know this. But they would pretend that the setting of what they were doing was Yankee Stadium and that he was hitting a walk-off. And they would like mimic a walk-off victory. And given the fact that it was his father Joe's birthday, he passed away in 2013 apparently, it would have been his birthday. And not only did he have a fantastic night already before the walk-off, but he got to do the very thing that he mimicked with his father in their backyard in Texas as a kid. He actually got to do it in Yankee Stadium, winning a game for them, walking it off, on what would have been his father's birthday. What can I say other than that stories like this are precisely 
what, in my opinion, makes baseball the greatest sport on the planet. It's moments like this where you really just have to take in how magical baseball is. As corny or cheesy as that might sound, this game is truly special for reasons like this. And it was just touching to hear about. It only adds on to how much I and everyone else continues to further fall in love with Jose Trevino as a player, and a person even, because he's a great person. And especially in light of the horrible, horrible shootings that happened in Texas, right up to that. And Jose's from Texas, not far from where the shooting took place. It all just combined to feel like a magical moment, honestly. It was it was really special. So... That was awesome to hear about. Really touching stuff, honestly. <laughs> it almost made me emotional that night. It was it was crazy. So just a wild night on Tuesday. Awesome to see that happen. And awesome to hear about the stories and how heartfelt it was for Trevino and the Yankee fan base as a result. Just amazing. So Tuesday night was a truly special night. The Yankee offense, despite them driving us nuts into the bottom of the 10th inning, would not give in. They ultimately came away with the win, despite giving up six runs throughout the game the pitching did. It was just awesome. So the rubber game matchup on Wednesday, the Yankees would try to take the series, and they would. It wasn't a very eventful game, but the main topic of this game, I would say, since it was only 2 to nothing, the only runs that scored were in the bottom of the fourth on a Miguel Andujar RBI single, which I said before, he's been playing a decent left field. He's been getting some big hits, some really solid hits. It's been great having him back. He put the Yankees on the board in the bottom of the fourth with that RBI single, one to nothing. And then after a stolen base by Andujar, rookie catcher Adley Rushman would throw the ball into center field on accident, and that would drive Glaber Torres home. <laughs> so that made it two to nothing, and guys, that was the final score. But again, the big story of the day was J.P. Sears coming up from the minor leagues, trying to give the Yankees rotation a bit of a breather with the doubleheader on Sunday and them still having no days off until Memorial Day on Monday. So he came up to make a spot start, sort of like as a sixth starter, like Luis Heal was in Chicago. And not his first big league innings, but his first big league start. And the Yankees do view J.P. Sears as more of a starter, which is why they don't keep him up after this as a bullpen piece. They view him as a starter. And my God, as a starter, what a start he had on Wednesday night. Five shutout innings, only giving up three hits, two walks, and striking out five. A very nice job by the rookie. Really, really nice start. Love that. The bullpen came in and actually had a nice night. And in light of the last week or a week and a half, it was nice. To, it was really nice to see. Ron Marinaccio, who also came back up like we spoke about last week, pitched two scoreless innings, striking out three. So it was really nice to see two rookies in Sears and Marinaccio go back-to-back to cover seven shutout innings. Lucas Litke would come in and combine with Miguel Castro to pitch a scoreless eighth inning. And then Clay Holmes in the ninth inning, the masterclass closer, as I like to refer to him now because he is truly my closer with how amazing he's been with a masterclass outing yet again. Shut out ninth inning to earn what was his fifth save already. Love it. And the Yankees go on to win two to nothing. So not much of a victory to speak of, but hey, it's a victory. <laughs> That's what matters. 
So the Yankees would take the series, get right back on the horse, like I said before, with winning a series despite their series-winning streak being snapped by the White Sox over last weekend. But they got right back on it with the Orioles winning two out of three. And now, like I said, with Tampa Bay this weekend, they've already won two of the last three with the final game coming up tomorrow on Sunday or today on Sunday if you're listening today because I am releasing it on Sunday. Just recording on Saturday, as I said before. So if they do manage to win the final game on Sunday, then they will manage to take another series in a stadium that, as I said before, and as I said a million times, is considered to be a house of terrors for the Yankees. So that would be really nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) But before we get to Sunday, we've still got what has happened in the series so far to recap. So they would start the four-game set on Thursday. This is, of course, the first time this year that they're seeing Tampa Bay and they're starting things off in Tropicana Field. And it's almost June, so it's pretty wild that it's taken them this long to see them. But last year, it was a similar thing with the Red Sox. I don't think they saw the Red Sox until June last year. It was a while. But now they go until almost June without seeing the Rays, but now they got a lot of games against them coming up still. So I guess they're going to make up for it in that sense. But So the first game in Tampa, pitching matchup, Nestor Cortez against Ryan Yarbrough. And Ryan Yarbrough, of course, has done a fantastic job against the Yankees over the years. He has been a nightmare for them. And he was again for some time now. He didn't even allow a hit until the sixth inning. And I was crazy busy at work on Thursday night, so I didn't even get to tune into the game until the sixth inning. And we all know that was, of course, when the Yankees scoring started. So I don't want to say I'm the reason they woke up, but I also do want to say I'm the reason they woke up. (laughs) So... Nothing at all to speak of until the sixth inning. Nestor and Yarbrough were just killing it. And Nestor started off a little rough. The Rays were putting some good swings on him, but my God, did he adjust and ultimately end up pitching eight innings. And there would be a run charge to him on his final line, but that was because a leadoff single that he gave up in the bottom of the ninth to Wander Franco, he would ultimately end up scoring when Wandy Peralta would take the mound after him in the ninth. That run was charged to Nestor. But if you want to look at it like, hey, that shouldn't count, which it does on the final line, whether you like it or not. But if you don't want to look at it that way because Nestor wasn't on the mound when the run scored, then he technically pitched eight plus shutout. <laughs> but it is, at the end of the day, eight plus only one run thanks to that run coming home charge to him against Wandy Peralta. Five strikeouts, only four hits. Just another. What do you even say? (laughs) What do you say about Nestor Cortez at this point? Another unbelievable start. Unreal. And it's unfortunate that one run had to be charged to him because it drove his ERA back up about just a little bit. It drove it up to 170, which is still... I mean, come on. But... It would have been like in the 150s or the high 140s if not for that one run charged him. But still, nonetheless, I mean, just, there are no words left. We just all have to watch it at this point with our just our jaws perpetually on the ground, just not knowing what to say anymore, because what we've seen is nothing short of spectacular. <laughs> and I don't think anybody's got any adjectives left to describe him. It's just unbelievable. Unreal. And Wandy Peralta would come in after him and allow that one run to score. Wanda Franco on first, he would allow him to come home and score, and also in the top of the ninth, he would also give up a run of his own on an RBI ground out, but that would be that, and the Yankees would win 7-2 to after that. Now, how they got their runs? Well, again, it all started in the top of the sixth, ironically, and 
not coincidentally, right when I started watching. <laughs> an RBI single by Aaron Judge, an RBI single by Miguel Andujar, and then a second run would come home to score on another error by Taylor Walls, their shortstop, which uh, is quite funny to watch because, for those of you who don't know that he said this, Taylor Walls, who has done less than nothing for Tampa Bay this year, has really just not been good in the field. I think he has like seven or eight errors, including this one. And he's batting about, I don't know, 145 maybe. <laughs> just contributing nothing, really. After game one, he could not shut up about how, quote-unquote, beatable the Yankees are. Well, I usually reserve the right to talk trash to people who actually contribute something. And not someone who can easily be taken just as a joke, like Taylor Walls could be, if you look at his numbers and his even his defensive production. There's nothing there. So, Taylor, until you contribute something, and until the Rays prove that they can stand toe-to-toe with the Yankees, the best team in baseball right now, I would shut your trap, with all due respect, of course. <laughs> just shut up. I, I just, there's nothing more annoying to me than players who really contribute little to nothing, yet they're as mouthy as anybody. Shut your mouth and let your gameplay speak for yourself. I mean, really. I mean, who am I sitting by in a podcast, Mike? But still, just stop. Okay, you're probably wondering what the hell that record scratch was. but <laughs> And I've done this before in past episodes whenever I've said things when I recorded and then things end up happening later on before I'm done editing it. <laughs> and this is one of those cases again. But... This is future Mike popping in as I edit the episode here on Sunday night before I release it to you. <laughs> Obviously, you just heard me on the show talk a bunch of trash about Taylor Walls, and hey, at the time, I still stick by it because it was true. But of course, on Sunday, in the final game against the Rays, he has to go out there and make a nice defensive play late in the game on an Aaron Hicks ground ball, and then also hit a solo shot that would come out to be one of what would be four Rays runs in their victory in Game 4. I'm aware of this, whatever. Just coming in to say that I just love how life does that to me sometimes whenever I'll say something and then it just, you know, just plays a joke on me. (laughs) So yes, I am aware of what happened late Sunday, just so you're sitting there listening to me and can't be like, oh, you know, what happened? Look at what happened today. And you just got done saying this. How about that, Mike? Yes, I know. I'm aware. (laughs) All right, I'm going to throw it back to my Saturday night self. Screw you for making me at least temporarily eat my words, Taylor Walls. And although I think that you still have more work to do to match those big words of yours, I am just dumbfounded as to how a home run was surrendered to you. But hey, made me eat my words for today, so good for you. But for the rest of you listening to the show, I'm throwing back to my Saturday night self, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. So he made another error here again that allowed another run to score, made it 3-0 Yankees. And then a wild pitch would drive in another. IKF came home to score, made it 4 to nothing. And then in the top of the ninth, Aaron Judge hit a sack fly, made it 5 to nothing, and Anthony Rizzo a two-run double to make it 7 nothing. Just unbelievable. Then again, those two runs would score in the bottom of the ninth. And the Yankees would win 7 to 2. So a very nice start to the four-game set. And it would be a continuation of that going into Friday. But even less action because the Yankees only won two to nothing on solo shots by Glaber Torres in the top of the fourth inning. And then right after him, a solo shot by newly signed utility man and former 
honestly really good player on the Cardinals that we all heard of throughout the years, Matt Carpenter, who after all the injuries, and of course it can't hurt to also bring him in because of the lack of production from Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo, to be honest with you, and even just to help out with some infield utility while DJ LeMahieu was out, and Donaldson too. But the Yankees signed him on Thursday, and he came in and made an immediate impact on Friday, especially with this solo bomb that he hit to right field. And it was a bomb. (laughs) It was a shot and a half, let me tell you. So that made it two to nothing. And very similarly to the Yankee game against the Orioles on Wednesday, that was all they really needed, just those two runs. Because again, guess what? The Yankees got another terrific start out of their starting rotation. On Friday, it was Jameson Tyone with quite possibly the best start I've seen him have as a New York Yankee. Quite possibly. Eight innings, shutout. Only two hits allowed and five strikeouts. So back-to-back days, the Yankees had starters go eight innings with Nestor and now Tyone. I I mean, this rotation is God-tier. I don't know how many times I have to say it. I really don't. They're unreal to watch day in and day out. I mean, he just... He was unstoppable. He gave up his hard hits here and there, but you know what? They all found gloves, and sometimes that's what happens. There are all kinds of different ways to have dominant starts, and sometimes that's the way it goes. Sometimes in baseball, you do the right thing by hitting the ball hard, and you you get no results for it, and the pitcher gets the benefit of it. So between good defense and just people being in the right places at the right times, those hard hits could still be outs. And that's really what happened with Tyone. But again, just he was really dominant too. I don't want to take anything away from him at all. Terrific. As a matter of fact, I think he only had about 92 or 93 pitches heading into the bottom of the ninth. Let me see here. I could I could probably find it on here. Yeah, he had 93. And I was like, well, he could pitch the ninth. Especially if he makes a quick, he could, he could even go for a complete game shutout. I mean, why not? But they did bring Clay Holmes and was not too mad at that at all. I mean, whatever. I mean, I knew he would get the job done, and he did. He was as dominant as ever. Got his sixth save of the year. Shut out ninth inning, getting two strikeouts, lowering his ERA to .36. (laughs) You can't make it up. .36. (laughs) And the Yankees would win two to nothing. And honestly, I'm not even going to bother recapping or today's game at the time of recording, but yesterday's game at the time you're listening, just Saturday's game, not even going to bother because I really spoke about everything I had to regarding it in the introduction to the show. So, we're basically caught up to Sunday, my friends. So, the Yankees are going to go for three out of four in the trop, which hasn't happened since, I believe, 2018. I think it's been that long since they've won a four-game set at the trop. So... That'd be really special. (laughs) Now, as far as what is ahead, again, Sunday it's going to be Luis Severino against Shane McClanahan, and McClanahan is tough, so hopefully the Yankees can do some damage off him and Seve can go out there and do very well, open a can of whoop-ass on that Rays lineup. Monday, Memorial Day, the Yankees actually have off, which ordinarily I'd be pissed about and I'm still not too happy about. I like to watch baseball on Memorial Day, but... 
they also haven't had an ordinary day off. They've had rainouts and this and that, but they've made them all up since they've just played double headers in order to even everything out. So they really haven't had a true day off since they had those three days in a row off with those two rainouts and that ordinary Thursday off. It's been weeks since they've had an ordinary day off. So they definitely need just a day to refresh, I think. So Monday they're off. I really don't have a problem with that. Tuesday. The Los Angeles Angels come to town, and the Angels are having themselves a hell of a year. Great pitching, solid hitting, so this ought to be an exciting series in the Bronx. A three-game set starting on Tuesday the 31st. Montgomery will be taking the mound for the Yankees. The Angels have not announced a starter yet. That'll be at 7.05 Eastern. Wednesday will be at 7.05 as well with Nestor Cortez taking the mound. I can't wait to see how he does against that lineup. I hope he mows him right down. Thursday, June 2nd, Lou Gehrig Day, the second annual Lou Gehrig Day. So happy about that. I love it. It'll be the final game of the three-game set, also a 7.05 Eastern start with Tyone on the mound. And then the weekend series next weekend, Friday through Sunday, three-game set is against the Tigers at Yankee Stadium. It'll start at 7.05 Eastern on Friday, another Apple TV Plus game, by the way, for those people who will be looking for it on television, it won't be there. So Apple TV Plus for that. Saturday afternoon will be at 105 against the Tigers. And Sunday, <laughs> ah, the 5th, it's going to be at 11.35 a.m. <laughs> so I'm probably going to record as I react to that one while that game is on. I'm probably going to be recording while it's on because I like to record early in the day. And this is as early as it gets for a game. So another one of these freaking Amazon Prime, Apple TV Plus crap. (laughs) (sighs) Special streaming games. I'm so tired of it. Oh, my God. I'm so tired of it. I think this game's going to be on Peacock. So, yeah, that'll be at 1130 next Sunday. (laughs) So we'll be done with baseball for the day by, like, freaking 3 o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) Even earlier if it's a quick game. So that's what's ahead coming up. But before I go for the day, guys, because of course with no social media segment because of my hectic weekend, I just don't have the time. (laughs) But before I go with recapping the last thing, just one more additional point I have to make. Adding on to what I was saying before about the unbelievable pitching that we've seen for the Yankees so far, especially in the rotation, because... The bullpen has had their struggles lately, specific guys, and they've had their injuries now with Chad Green going down, Lawazga going down, Britton being gone, Chapman going down. So they've had their issues here and there, but they, for most of the season, have been terrific. And certain people like Michael King, you assume they're going through just their certain struggles right now, and, and, you know, they'll get over it because they've otherwise been terrific. But especially with the rotation, with everything going on, with... The highest ERA being 330 by Montgomery. The highest ERA. Some teams don't have a pitcher in the rotation having 330 for their ERA as the lowest ERA. And here the Yankees are having it as their highest ERA. It's truly amazing what's happened. And you factor in how amazing the bullpen's been for the vast majority of the season. Like how unbelievable, for instance, how much of a cheat code Clay Holmes has been, just for for example. And before the last week, week and a half, how amazing Michael King has been. 
How about how amazing Clark Schmidt's been? Clark Schmidt's been great. I'm so happy he's taken those next steps and become a really reliable long reliever out there. Even though they could definitely afford to use him more, he's been great to watch. I think guys like Wandy Peralta could afford to be used more. I think that's why at times he's been getting hit a little hard. I think he needs to be used more. He was barely being used before. So he and Clark, if you ask me, could afford to be used more. So the bullpen overall has been really, really good and, again, has their struggles lately. But overall, the whole season has been effective. I mean, how many times did I start off the episodes so far this year saying how the Yankees have amongst the best team ERAs throughout the whole sport? And that continues on, especially because of the starting rotation, though. But overall, pitching. And like I said earlier in the show, with this point, I already pointed this out on Twitter, and it got a crap ton of attention because it's true. (laughs) But anybody who hasn't yet needs to put respect on Matt Blake's name right now. And if for some reason you don't know who Matt Blake is, if you live under a rock as a Yankee fan, he is their pitching coach, who they brought on a couple of years ago. And ever since he came on, it cannot be ignored. The difference, overwhelmingly positive difference, overwhelming that we have seen with Yankees pitching. Whether it be with the use of pitching analytics or just his direction as a pitching coach to try to help people improve their craft and constantly work with them, regardless of what it is, you cannot ignore the difference that we have seen with this Yankees team with pitching since he replaced Larry Rothschild, who I was very vocal about for years in hoping the Yankees would finally get rid of him. They did. They bought this young guy in who many people, including myself a little bit, questioned at first, even though I give everybody a chance. I give everyone a chance. And I'm glad I gave Matt Blake the chance. But a lot of people questioned, especially a lot of people who are not fans of analytics, and I'm not too big a fan of them because I try to mix in old school mentality with new school mentality. I like a mix of both. I look at stats and I consider other factors as well. But a lot of people who just really don't like to hear about numbers and aren't about analytics were questioning him heavily. And I think that your questions should be answered by now. And the answer is, is that this guy is terrific and he deserves to have respect put on his name. He's been incredible, Matt Blake, as the Yankees pitching coach. He cannot get enough credit. And when I tweeted this out, and and these people are right too, a lot of people were quick to mention, oh, the change in catchers that they've had is important too because Gary Sanchez being gone from behind the plate now and the guidance that they're probably receiving from Higgy and Trevino probably helps as well. And that's definitely true because a lot of pitching success is also on the way they work with their catchers. So that's definitely true. Again, they're just endless factors with the sport of baseball. We know this. So that's definitely true as well. But, I mean, Matt Blake deserves an unbelievable chunk of the credit. That's not debatable. So that's just a statement that I wanted to say to add on to what I already said on Twitter earlier today. I just wanted to give the man credit on this show 
Because I've been giving the Yankees pitching an unbelievable amount of credit as it is. I have been. That has taken place every week. But I feel like I haven't given enough specifically to Matt Blake, at least for this season, because I've given him credit in the past, because last year, despite the offensive nightmares, the Yankee pitching was what really kept the team afloat for the most part last year, for the vast majority of the season. And in 2020, they really weren't that bad either. So, this year, again, I'm giving Matt Blake all of the credit and love that he deserves, and you need to as well if you don't already, because this man has proven to be a hell of a pitching coach. And the difference is overwhelming, astounding, surreal. And he deserves love by Yankee fans. I just wanted to give that praise to him because he very much deserves it. (laughs) That is not up for debate. There's just never enough that can be said about the job that this guy has done as Yankee pitching coach since he came on. But guys, I've got to get on with this crazy weekend that I've got this weekend, this holiday weekend. I hope you're having a good holiday weekend as well, like I said earlier. And it is Saturday night, so I'm tired. (laughs) So I'm going to head on out of here. But even though this is a shorter episode than usual because of no social media segment, I still hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed doing it like I do every single week. But for now, that is all for episode 141 of Yapping Yankees Today, guys. Please remember to follow me on all social medias, as always, like I said earlier in the show, too, with my shameless plug. Facebook fan page is Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero. And Instagram is Mike Scuds. 97. Please subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like below if you're listening on YouTube and show all of your love on the other three by leaving reviews and do your usual thing, guys. And if you have the time, if you miss any past episodes of Yapping Yankees, well, you could listen to episodes 34 up to episode 141 today on YouTube and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's going all the way back to episode one, are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I am Mike Scudero, and barring disaster, I will talk to you next Sunday, June 5th, another new month as time continues to bolt on by, when I come at you with episode 142 of yapping Yankees. But until then, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, enjoy what is likely a day off for you on Memorial Day tomorrow, as it thankfully is for me, Lord knows I need a day off. (laughs) And let us all, at the same time, remember all of the brave souls who have fought and gave their lives for us in this country. Have a good week, my friends. Until next Sunday, take care. (laughs) 